So our first exposure to this whole on-premise situation was cleaning up the morning after a very large-scale orgy. Welcome to Normalizing Non-Monogamy, the podcast where we interview incredible people from across the entire spectrum of non-monogamy to hear their fascinating stories. We always strive to bring guests on the show who have a healthy and positive approach to non-monogamy. However, everyone approaches this a little differently, and at its core, our show is about hearing and learning from different experiences and approaches people have. With that in mind, it's important to remember that the views and opinions expressed by our guests do not necessarily represent those of our own. It's also important to remember that we aren't doctors or therapists and that we produce this show for entertainment purposes only. Please consult a medical professional for anything regarding your health that you might learn about on this show. We should also let you know that this podcast will hopefully include some explicit language. So, if that kind of thing offends you, you should probably keep listening until it no longer does. If you're under 18, we'd suggest finding a different show or gather up your parents and listen as a family. Enjoy! Welcome to episode 31. Hey, it's the same number episode as the age we are. That's exciting. Also, it's the first time in three weeks you got the episode number right. Hey! (laughs) <laughs> That's because we threw in an extra episode and it threw me off. Okay, so this week... Wait, we're Finn and Emma. We are Finn and Emma. <laughs> also, I wanted to say one thing. I was just looking at our notes from last week, and I forgot to mention something that I wanted to mention about last week. So, one of my favorite parts about that last episode was how incredibly supportive Zach was of Sarah. And just like anything... She, it was, I don't know. Yeah. That was he, one of my favorite very, parts very about that. So. If you want to know what the hell I'm talking about, go listen to last week's episode after you finish this week's episode. Or before. Just listen to both. Yep. So this week, what do we got? We have an interview with Justin and Abby, and they're actually two friends of ours that we met at Desire a few years ago. And we've visited them a couple times and had a lot of fun. So it was a blast talking to them, and they share a lot of tidbits about uh, Desires. And for anyone going in a few weeks or going at all, just, yeah, that was a lot of fun. And also about throwing some sex parties. Yeah, so if you are going to Desire anytime soon or thinking about it, This is a great episode to listen to because they've got all sorts of cool info about it. Also, uh, they were the ones who introduced us to online STD testing. That is true. So, funny you mentioned that. Uh, (laughs) Funny I mentioned that. You brought it up. Yeah. While we're on the topic, real quick, if you want, go to our website, click on the link, and go to stdcheck.com. Get your online STD testing done. It's way easier, it's way cheaper, and it's way more fun than going to the doctor. Yeah, check that out. We have a hoot every time we do it. Well, as much fun as giving blood in your urine sample is. Yeah, but at least you save $10. Yep. And the other thing is the website, Cassidy. You know, we've mentioned this quite a few times. It's a great dating website. But so website. have all of our guests. I swear they all I know. A lot of people it. must be it. awesome. So check it out, dating website for non-monogamous people. And you can get a free 30-day trial by using the link on our website or a free 90-day trial if you leave us a review on any podcast platform. Yeah, so let's go to the interview. But before we do, did you tell me our website? Our website? No, that's always my job, isn't it? <laughs> my, our website is normalizingnonmonogamy.com. Please reach out to us. We'd love to hear from anybody, all of you, any of them, please. And check us out. We can find us on Twitter and Cassidy under the screen name NNM Podcast. Let's do this interview. Let's go. Uh, it's just weird with friends. I don't know. Um, it's, I think it's easier with people you don't know because you, yeah. 
anyway. You don't know all the answers ahead of yeah. time. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe we'll learn stuff that we don't know. You'll know if we exaggerate or embellish anything. Yeah. <laughs> That's not how that happened. <laughs> <sighs> okay. Well, thanks for joining us tonight, guys. We have are talking to some of our really good friends, Justin and Abby. And can you take a minute and introduce the yourselves to the listeners? You know, a little bit about where you're from and um, how long you've been together. Yeah, so I'm Abby, and I am 38, and we live in Colorado, and I identify as bi-comfortable. And I'm Justin. I'm 43. I identify as straight, but I like to say straight but not narrow. I'm very comfortable with close proximity and, you know, when you're in uh, When you're underneath your wife and there's a, you know another penis going in and out of where you're okay with that kind of thing. Um, yeah, I, I tend to be pretty okay with that. And I tend to uh, get kind of close to that too and take it in and enjoy it in all its glory. <laughs> um, we've been together for, Do the math. here I go. It's a trap. <laughs> it's a trap. <laughs> we've been together for since 2003. I'll say that I'm bad at public math. Okay. <laughs> 15, years. So 15 years. 15 years. And we've been married more for math. <laughs> more public math. We've been married for eleven years, I think. <laughs> almost twelve. Okay, okay, almost twelve years. There you go. Uh, yeah, so we've been together for quite a while, and we've been doing this for most of that time, I would say. Mm-hmm. And when you say this, what do you, what do you, what do you guess? What do you guys mainly identify as? I would identify us as swingers. Yes. So we like to be, uh, you know, big brain about it and say we practice ethical partner non-monogamy, which is, you know, means nothing to nobody, I'm sure. You know, we, we talk about labels a lot and we've heard other people talk about the how labels box you in and people don't want to be labeled as one thing or another. And we totally agree with that. But at some point, um, having a common language and common terms to express who you are and what you're looking for is important because you have to have some kind of frame of reference for others to understand, you know, how what you your identity is. Yeah, exactly. So one of your previous um, podcasts, someone mentioned the term label should be descriptive and not prescriptive. And that's exactly how we yeah. look at it too. So we don't chafe at the word swinger. It's fine. Um, the lifestyle is, you know, it's a broad term that everybody uses and again, doesn't mean very much, but, um, we're comfortable in that as well. I don't know. Swingers these days has a different meaning than a lot of people, I think used to attach that, you know, the seventies key party kind of thing, but there's so many podcasts now and there's so much out there, especially in Colorado, there's such a huge community that swinger doesn't really have that, um, you know, that negative connotation that. I think others attached to it. Yeah, I would agree. So maybe it makes more sense to kind of talk about what you guys actually do and how it how it actually looks. So how did you guys get into it originally? Who who was the instigator in chief? <laughs> it's a good story. So we were um, living in Europe at the time, and we were taking a lot of long car rides. And we didn't like listening to the local radio, um, and so we started downloading podcasts. And I, Abby, was downloading a lot of human interest uh, podcasts. So I was downloading This American Life and other NPR brands. uh, (laughs) And 
Uh, Justin was downloading something a little bit different. He was downloading a lot of sex podcasts. <laughs> so, <laughs> As you do. The um, one that really started a conversation for us was a sex is fun podcast. And they were talking about uh, trip to desire. And what really caught our attention about that was, could we be naked in front of other people? That was something we had never talked about uh, up until that point. We had been married for like six years. Yeah, um, so this was 2008-ish. So we've been together for five years. And for those who haven't listened before or don't know what Desire is, it's the clothing optional, sex optional resort near Cancun. And there was a discussion on this podcast about a trip there and – you know, being naked in front of people and different things going on. And we were kind of giving each other side eye, like, oh. While driving very, very fast on a European highway. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit dangerous I'm, then, I'm right? I was reacting to this idea of naked people <laughs> yeah. by the pool while someone's getting a blowjob in the hot tub. Mm. <laughs> so there was a lot of side eye. And it, it started a conversation about whether we could do that. And it wasn't about the physical relationship uh, or interaction with other people, it was really about could we just be naked in front of people? And so that was really the origin of our open communication. And, you know, many years later, now here we are. <laughs> we are full-blown swingers. But there were many steps in between there. And one of them was um, Justin expressed to me after we'd been talking about this for a while that he had a desire to see me uh, receive more pleasure than he alone could give me. And again, it took me a really long time to process that and understand what he was talking about, but he wanted, he wanted more hands and mouths and penises than he could provide just himself. Um, and I, you know, that was mind blowing. I didn't know what to do with that suggestion. I didn't know what that meant for our relationship. So we continued to communicate through it. And <laughs> and, and why do you think it was so hard for you to like wrap your mind around that? Do you think just like your upbringing? I think it was social programming. I think it was you grow up, you go to college, you graduate, you get married, you do these social programming things and we were on we were on a path and that was not prescribed <laughs> in the path. Um so it was it was just hard to comprehend how that reconciled with what our relationship had been until that point and how we related to one another. So yeah, we processed that and it was a lot for me. I, mean, I had a really hard time with the logistics. I didn't understand how we went from this conversation of, yeah, it would be really great to add another guy to our sexual relationship to actually having sex with another guy. I didn't know how you met them, how you communicated these intentions, how you got naked and then started having sex. Like There were so many logistical <laughs> barriers in my brain. <laughs> It's very true. Um, well, it's definitely so, not something any of us are brought up, or I would I say any of us, most of society is not brought up with or told about until you kind of discover it. Um, yeah, so. sure. And so this podcast, Sex is Fun, was, um, it wasn't a lifestyle, it wasn't a swinger podcast. It was a sex podcast that discussed a lot of different issues. Some of them were non-monogamy issues, but we kind of kept coming around to those. So we started to communicate more about what we want 
you know, taking some cues from the, you know, these sex educators on this podcast and like, ask what you want and how do you have those conversations and how do you approach the subject? And so that really started the open up the lines of communication, which for me always kind of ended back at the same place, which was, I think it would be super hot to have another guy have sex with us and pleasure you. Cause you know, I know that you're, you're not necessarily into women and I really enjoy you experiencing pleasure. And so it made sense that the way that happens is to have another penis and more hands yeah. and another mouth. I do think it was disarming for me to not have him come at this from a, I just want to add another woman to our situation. Right. And that's a lot of pressure. I couldn't deal with that. <laughs> day, even through everything we've been through, he gets very anxious about the possibility of another, just another woman. It's so much more for him to please. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot of pressure. It's hard enough to, you know, to, to pleasure one woman, to be adequate for one woman. So having another woman there when the first woman isn't also pleasuring the second woman is a lot to, a lot to consider. Yeah. yeah, I think it's it's refreshing, too, to hear people coming out, like you said, from the non, like, I just want to have two women or three women. It's It was more about her pleasure and making sure that was the case. And I assume if, if her thing was other women, then you'd be like, hey, yeah, bring seven women in. I don't care. Yeah, but absolutely. It was really more, it didn't matter whether it was a guy, a girl, or somewhere in the middle, as long as it was what Abby was looking for, which I think yep. is a cool way to yeah, it. Yeah, and I think that that uh, goes back to our theory of compersion, and we're both givers, and we both strongly identify with the concept of compersion and take a lot of pleasure from the other person's pleasure. And that's something that I... I didn't understand until I experienced it for the first time. And that was just one of those moments where I had a realization when we were in the middle of something, I was like, Oh, I really enjoy seeing him do this with somebody else. And the pleasure he's receiving from that situation is not something that I could have given him or experienced from this perspective, watching him do it. And so that was a very important moment for us to both realize that well, we're both givers, which has its own complications. <laughs> uh, we both enjoy the compersion of the lifestyle with each other. Yeah. So did you fly straight from Europe to Desire, or was there some middle ground in there? <laughs> so we probably listened to, so we listened to Sex is Fun. We listened to Life on the Swing Set because they had, um, you know, they were, there's some cross-pollination of the personalities on those podcasts. They were friends and colleagues. So we, over the course of a couple of years probably, talked a lot about things that interest us, you know, sexually, including non-monogamy. And, we, and at that point, they were really fantasies. We didn't know yeah. at that point if we were ever, if we would actually act on them. Right. But then we found ourselves living in London and there was a huge community, and we felt like we were ready to at least try. So, and how did you find out? Of, I was going to say, how did you find out that in the first place that there was a huge community? So, the one of the good things about doing this type of thing in Europe is that most people are on one website that we found called SDC, whereas in the United States, it's very geographically segmented um, and, and fractious. In Europe, we found a lot of folks used SDC Even though it's headquartered in Florida. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a U.S. company. But um, so we made a profile on SDC, did our best to take some <laughs> alluring pictures, though I'm sure we failed terribly. Um, made a profile, 
a very brief description of what, who we are and what we're looking for because we didn't really know, and then just kind of looked at the events that yeah, were going on. So we didn't use it really to communicate with people and have titillating conversation. We used it to see what events were going on and who was going to be there so that we could, you know, make And then try to talk ourselves into showing up. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> So, um, but we did find one great community that actually started in San Francisco uh, called Kinky Salon, and they have several offshoots in different cities, and they had one in London, and they had these big themed warehouse parties about probably once a quarter, be a different theme and all decorations, and so we volunteered to like help set up and to you know, kind of ingratiate ourselves into this group. Wow, you um, kind of jumped uh, right in then. <laughs> uh, even more so. Uh, it turns out the one party, the first party we tried to go to was sold out. And so we couldn't go, but the organizers emailed us afterwards or after we couldn't um, buy, a ticket. buy a ticket and yeah. said, tickets are sold out, but we need volunteers to help out with various things. If you're willing to volunteer, you can come to the party. And we were like, yeah, that sounds great. And then, so we so agreed to. So you were a fluffer. Well, yeah. <laughs> not, not nearly as glamorous as Oh, that. yeah, it's far less glamorous. So we said, yes, we will help. And then they said, great, we could use help with the cleanup afterwards. Oh, no. All right. So, so our first exposure to this whole on-premise situation was cleaning up the morning after a very large-scale orgy in London. Yeah, we're talking like 30 mattresses and garments and restraints and, you know, all that you would yeah. associate with the day after a sex party. That's what was there. So it was a... Uh, and yet we continued. Lisa, so you hadn't gone to the party. Did you go to the party the night before then? We or... went to the party. That is a little bit more of a long story, but okay. uh, there was a, a alcohol poisoning situation. One of us wasn't feeling great, and so yeah. there was no play, okay. and we left early because one of us just wasn't feeling well. But There's a big issue of fake liquor around London, and somehow at some point in the evening, the bar... We got a bad drink, and the night ended before the play even started. Yeah. So, but we did go back very early. Say. Today, fulfilled our volunteer we duties. We did. Okay. So, because you were volunteers, they let you come to the full party. Yes, okay. we did get to attend the full party, and it was informative. Uh, even though we had to leave early, we got to see. Um, the things that I enjoyed about it were how playful people were, how communicative people were, how this was not an underground community. They were. You know, they were above ground and they were. They had a code of conduct. They had a code of conduct. It yeah. was very sex positive. It was very positive Every, consent. Everybody took an oath upon entering the party that they would act in a very specific way to honor each other and the yeah the yeah. consent and. It's very playful, but very um, um, educated and sex positive. So it was a good group for us. So that was our first experience was with this particular group, but they only had parties, you know, every three or four months. And so we find ourselves at other on-premise situations where the music is super loud. It's a club. The music is loud. Most people there. And we are not nearly pretty enough. <laughs> it was very glamorous. A lot of people there were not native English speakers combined with alcohol, combined with the music. It just made communicating um, difficult. And we're, you know, we value... We're into, we like to be intellectually stimulated. We like to have conversations with people. We like to get to know you a little bit. 
um, you know, at least for a little while before we're not opposed to, you know, first date play, but we'd like to at least be, you know, on the same wavelength as you guys. So there was a lot of trial and error with different places in London for, for various reasons, but we kept coming around to kinky salon. They're, they're excellent people. So London was, um, uh, it was a trial and error period. It was a challenge. Say, you didn't get turned off for after like cleaning up after an yeah. orgy and then all the loud music and everything. I was going to say too, I think if I was at an orgy that I knew I had to clean up afterwards, I would be like, remember everybody condoms in the trash can. <laughs> what are you a fucking animal? <laughs> Part of the code of ethics, the oath that people took, that they would try to dispose of things properly. That oath would have gotten super specific if I was cleaning up afterwards. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, the other the other turnoff in London was there's a a pretty big prevalence of drugs, uh, and that's not something that we're into. And so between the loud music, the non-native English speaking, the different body language signals, uh, and the drugs, it was. It was tough, but we we kept trying. We did eventually meet some people that we really enjoyed. Um, and in London, in London, yeah. we, we established a small community of people. But what's mm-hmm. tough is nobody lives in a place large enough to ever host a party. So you're always seeking an on-premise situation yeah. where Just you for try real to be. Estate. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> where you're trying to meet up with people you already know, but. It's not necessarily easy to get around. You know, one of the clubs that we enjoyed in London was out near Heathrow Airport, which, if you're familiar with the geography at all, is not super accessible. Taking a night bus home at 3 (laughs) a.m. to central London from Heathrow is... Two-hour bus ride. As it challenges, yeah. Yeah. But I think, you know, looking back on it, we really value levity and humor in these situations. You know, we really enjoy... You know, the banter and, you know, being and self-deprecating. Learned. And we really had to see the the humor in a lot of the situations that we experienced in London. Mm-hmm. And I think that directly led to kind of our, our appreciation for the levity that we carry over into um, our play situations even today. And that nothing can break us. We will yeah. try a lot of new situations. And if it doesn't work out, we say, okay, well, well that, didn't work. that wasn't right. Yeah. Let's try yeah. something different next time. Yeah. Uh, and we persist. And it sounds like you had enough of a good experience to know that it was something you were interested in moving forward with and pursuing yeah. after you left London, I'm assuming. Yeah. And so it's probably a good time to check in with like our play style. Right. So we started when we started talking about it, we were like, okay, first party we went to, we we're like, okay, we're only going to do Megs. We'll only have sex with each other in this environment. Explain what Megs is. Monogamous group sex. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, we'll only play with Throw each other. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, there was like, okay, we'll only have oral, you know, we, we can only do, yeah, we can only swap for oral in this situation. And um, this is where we learned a very important um, lesson about ourselves. Specifically and, me. <laughs> and that rules, we kept hearing or reading, you know, have rules, have boundaries, don't cross those boundaries, um, you know, go up to that point and then come back and reconnect and see how it went and then go from there. But I am a slightly competitive individual. And so rules created expectations and goals for me. And so we would go into a situation with rules, like we are only soft swap tonight. Uh, We can't go beyond oral. And so then if 
the situation didn't present itself where oral felt natural and that we were so inclined, then I felt like we had to make it happen because so that you was... were going to get some fucking oral. <laughs> yeah, that was the rule on the table, so I had I'm to get suck there. suck a dick tonight no matter what happens. <laughs> <laughs> so that created some tension because it, we didn't always meet those goals, and so then I felt like I was failing. Or that you would try and make it happen when it wasn't happening organically. Yeah, and that's we not would... a good situation either. No. Yeah. So we went from monogamous group sex and then we can only have oral to like, well, let's just not have rules. We've communicated about these things for like two years. I have a good idea of what you're comfortable with. You have a good idea what I'm comfortable with. Let's just communicate in the moment when things present themselves and trust each other to make good decisions in the moment. And that's, that happened early on and that's how we still operate today. Yeah. But so in the course of London, we went from brand new to when by the time we left London two years later, we had become a full swap couple. Although, you know, with we another say, American couple. Yeah, we met another, <laughs> met another American couple at a party. It took them back to our place and we were like, hey, this is kind of lame. You want to go back to our place? They're like, yeah. So we ended up taking this, the tube, like all the way across town for like an hour and <laughs> that 15 minutes. Fluorescent lit tube ride yeah. at one in the morning. As the buzz is wearing off, you're like, we get back to our place finally, and you're like, so I want to do this? And they're like, yeah, we're in this. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. Right. Too far. That's some, that's some hot foreplay right there. <laughs> really? So, uh, yeah, so we went from brand new to leaving London as full swap, and then we moved. But that was to over a- two years, right? Yeah, over so two that, years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then so you that moved took us twice. To, yeah. Do you want, we can continue the evolution story. Of, yeah. Keep going, I think. So, so we moved to DC moved to and DC. you became our sexy ambassador in DC. Well, I, uh, through the Cassidy website, became involved and started attending the Guck or Girls Uncorked events. Uh, and that's where I met a very like minded group of women who. Uh, we're all partnered, and that's not a requirement for Guck, but it just happened to be that that was who I was around. And through that group of people, I was invited to our first house party. Yes. Uh, and we attended, and it turned out to be a very controlled, well-vetted environment of like-minded individuals. And by like-minded, I just mean people who are want to be sexy and want to communicate about it and have some levity and they had similar approaches to the lifestyle as us. And so through that, we became involved with a group of people that we, you know, had a rotating series of house parties with. And it was a, it was a good core group, but it was very different from our, our London experience. Yeah. We really never really found our groove in London, a lot of trial and error, as we said, and then kind of immediately in DC, we just fell into this great small group. Uh, one of the Once big a issues. Month, yeah, would have house parties, different people within this group. Mm-hmm. Yeah, house parties of anywhere from ten to fifteen couples, half of which probably you we've known, and the other half, you know, folks so who we hadn't. So we had a good mixture of both of them, and to this day, that's still kind of our our happy place is, um, you know, house parties. I was going to say D.C. I I know you love D.C., so. No, D.C., that's, yeah, (laughs) not our happy place. (laughs) 
Um, we're staying positive here. Uh, no. <laughs> yeah, way to bring in the negative there. Yeah. Good let's, get all, let's get them all fired up. And... <laughs> the good lessons we learned in D.C. were house parties. Like yes. 10 to 15 couples is a really good mix of people. Yes. Um, if you don't own a house large enough, you can do it as a residence inn. <laughs> Fun fact, people. Residence inns have... Many residents in, anyway, have two-bedroom suites with a common area and a full kitchen. And it's really an ideal situation to have. <laughs> and two anywhere. bathrooms most of the time. Yes, two, two exactly. Bathrooms? 10 yeah. to 20 of your closest sexy friends. Two-bedroom suites tend to be at the end of the hall where at least one bedroom is not up against someone else's bedroom. It's true. Against a doorway, <laughs> a hallway, something of that, of that nature. So, hot tip. If you want to have a sex party and don't have a big house big enough for it, check out the residence in. And I'm not being paid for that. And neither are we, but maybe we should be. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Reach out to the Marriott. But one key difference we acknowledge, we found early on, is in Europe, there was a lot of presumed consent. If we were having sex in a public area, at a club or a house or whatever, people felt like they could come and touch us and do things to us until we told them no. But then, which was like, you know, going into it, we're like, oh, no, people will ask before they touch us. They'll because ask if they could kiss us because we had read and, American you know, listened resources. to So we're like, oh, no, they're not just going to come and violate us. Wrong. If you find yourself, if you go to Europe and go to a sex party, you can pretty much expect um, the norm to be. They will, consent. They will expect that you'll tell them no when you go too far. So being in the States again, it was nice to, you know, experience people ask you, hey, can I touch you? Is it okay if I kiss you? And I'd be yeah. interested to know if that's still the the case there. Yeah, how how many years ago were you guys in Europe, in London? So we left in 2013. Okay. So, yeah, five so, years. Yeah, five years ago. I'd be, I mean, I'd just for anybody listening, that would be an interesting feedback to hear. I know there's some British listeners out there, mm-hmm. so yeah. let, us, let us know. Anyway. <laughs> so... DC. So we were full swap when we got there and we we're like full swap, same room only, you know, we don't play separately. And, you know, some of our, well, I think all of our evolution has happened pretty organically just based on the people and the situations, the people we've found ourselves in various situations with that lent themselves. It, it just made sense to, in the moment, try something new. And again, I credit our communicating, over-communicating, re-communicating, touch. I mean, ad nauseum, we communicate about these things yes. so that when we're in the moment, we can make the right decisions. So we were at a, one party in particular, and we're in a group situation, and then we're all kind of standing around in the kitchen after playing, as you do even, no matter what party you're at, everybody goes to the kitchen. Naked and eats food <laughs> and talks. So we're standing there, and you come up and ask, and like, hey, um, the people we were just playing with, he asked if uh, I'd like to go upstairs with them. Would that be okay? And we had never even talked about playing in separate rooms, much less separate, you know, separate scenarios. And it just in the moment, I was just like, yeah, that'd be really awesome. Go, go do that. So but through our over communication, there were things that I intuitively knew. Like I, I would not have felt comfortable closing the door when I got into this other room. So there's things you learn about your partner and about the, what your play style that, you know, uh, apply to new situations. So open door. Um, and I obviously, even if we were in a separate room, our same, uh, rules applied about barriers and sort of our play style. I don't know if we, 
if there's specific things we can say about a play style, but it's, there's a lot of levity in it and we're very transparent about what we do and who we do it with. And it helped that I just saw him fucking you. So I was pretty comfortable with the whole thing. I didn't have a, you know, I I didn't have a negative reaction when it happened in the moment. So chances were pretty good that, you know, I wasn't going to react negatively right. but to it. Na- I'm navigating a new situation. I'm just trying to find ways to ex- explain why that was okay for us. And it's because we had over-communicated going into this and every situation. I knew some of our ground rules, which were don't close the door. Um, yeah. Don't have penetrative sex without a barrier. You know, they're just, there are baseline rules that apply even when you try something new. Yeah. And we trusted each other you know, implicitly at that point. So you guys have talked a lot about the communication side of it. Do you think that your communication has improved since you guys started doing this or have you guys always been? It's definitely improved. I think, I mean, we've always communicated, but I think what became clear is how we communicate differently, our different communication styles and how those two go together, which, I mean, we knew it on some level, but it was, very obvious once we started having sex and then coming home and talking about it or thinking about it. I process in the moment and I just like, and this is what I thought. And then I saw that. And then I felt yeah. that. And then, yeah, I, he I talks through the whole I work thing. through it Immediately. verbally <laughs> <laughs> and you needed a little bit more time. I'm an internal processor. So I have learned that I receive all of his processing. So he will verbalize the things he's thinking and how he felt. And then I say, thank you for telling me. I've heard what you've said. I will get back to you with my reactions in 24 to 48 hours. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm given that space and to his credit, he gives me that space to process that space and time um, to think through what it meant to me and if I was okay or not okay with something. And I, it's just a different timeline for me. It's a different process. And we had to learn that though. There, we had some confrontations early on where you would say something and you would react to a situation and I'd say, well, I don't know. And you would be like, how do you not know? And it, it, I just, I felt vulnerable. Like I'm putting all this out there and I'm not getting it back from you. And it, it was, it, it, again, vulnerable. It feels like I'm putting my thoughts and my emotions out there. And I really want to know how you interpret those and what you're feeling and how, how you're thinking. And I just needed some time. I get, I get it. And we didn't like argue about it, but there was a learning curve there and that's carried over into, you know, everyday life too. Like knowing how you process things and when to bring things up, um, sexual or otherwise is, has been invaluable. Yeah. Has there been times through all of this that you guys have, uh, I guess, accidentally or just broken a rule or come into done something that you had to work through afterwards. Um, that would be a good example. Um, not rule breaking since we don't really, yeah, right. That's true. We cover, you don't have rules. Broad left and right limits. Um, more so than rules. So there was okay, maybe boundary, one, uh, I guess would be a better. Yes. Boundaries, yes. But going back again to labels, we accept that boundaries are also called rules. That's true. <laughs> they are synonyms. Um, and, uh, we had, um, an aha moment, uh, and desire. So we got to, back to DC and we were close enough to take a, you know, we felt like we were too far in Europe to justify a trip to desire. And then we were coming back to the state soon. So when we came back to DC, we booked a trip with the Life on the Swing Set folks for their takeover and had our first 
finally desire experience. Um, couple years after we started doing non-monogamous activities. So we're at Desire, and we meet all these wonderful people, and we were feeling like Desire was like a big house party. And it wasn't like a resort. It was like, well, the rules of a party apply here. For Um, all week, all day, every day, for a full week. And this specifically, in my mind, was applying to separate room play. We'd played in separate rooms, and so in my mind, this would be a great test bed to do new things and see how it goes, including exploring separate play, which I viewed very much like being at a house where you go from the kitchen to a bedroom. This time we're just going from the hot tub to somebody else's room, you know? So I had said early on, if you find somebody here, it seems like you and this individual are clicking, getting along very well. It's great. I love to see you guys interact. Um, At this point we'd had, sex with, um, with this individual and his partner. And it's great. And I just, I felt very comfortable with them. And as I said, if you find yourself, you know, in a situation where you have an opportunity to have sex in his room or in our room without me there, you know, I, it's something that I'd be interested in you exploring if you feel like you want to do that. So you took that on board, I think, and you, you know, I think you were feeling it. You were feeling the vibe. You were feeling the experience, and you're very interested in him. And things were going. I probably very well. did my initial dismissive, like, "Yeah, whatever. That will not happen." Right. <laughs> <laughs> so a couple of days later, we are in a situation, in an environment where the evening was not going well for me. Like in desire, it's, you know, it's, there's a lot of emotions, and it's an intense, you know, especially for introverts. Yeah, especially for introverts. Don't gain energy from being around other people. And you need to check in and you need time for yourselves. And we had done that, but not to the level that I needed on this particular night. And I was like, so we're in the playroom at the disco at desire. And this, this guy who I love, I love this guy. So I'm, I'm watching him fuck you like into the cushions of the <laughs> sex furniture. Like, your upper, your whole torso is buried like in these cushions, and he's just pounding you. And I'm like, we don't do that. Like our dynamic, in in the bedroom and out of the bedroom, it's it's parity. We're equals. We don't, you know, we're both givers, so we have to, you know, negotiate who's going to give and re- receive at a certain point. But we don't have those power dynamics amongst us. It's just not how we play. And I'm watching him just like. <laughs> pound you. And I was like, on one hand, I'm like, wow, that's super hot. On the other hand, I'm like, we don't do that. And I don't really know what to do with that feeling right now. So I was feeling kind of icky. And also this, he loves champagne is his thing. He'll like pop champagne and pour it, you know, pour it down your chest and lick it off you. And like, we don't do the food and thing. Like we don't mix sex and food. That's just not what we do. And so seeing him do this and you're like getting off on the bubbles and the licking, I was just like, ah, I don't, again, like I don't, we don't do that. And I feel threatened. It's sexy and hot and I'm enjoying that part of it, but I have this ickiness. I don't really know how to quantify or what to do with it. And, and then to, 10 minutes and, later. Well, and then to top it off, there was another, there's a woman there who was pursuing me for a couple of days and I was po- politely declining, but her advances were getting more aggressive and it was becoming more difficult to politely decline. And at that moment, she had cornered me in this, in the playroom, the woman that was pursuing him, not me. And there was no, like, it was like a full on, like, okay, I look, I need to tell you that I'm not interested and it's it's hard to do and you don't want to have those conversations. And so it was like this, this cascading effect of just like, I just need 
to take Abby, you know, to go outside, get some fresh air, just reconnect and just kind of check in. So then the group did get up and go outside. And at which point I said, so I've been invited back to his room. I uh, am guessing because you had asked for the situation to materialize that this is something you want to go forward with. And, and you didn't he, know how he was feeling at that moment. I had no idea because my torso was in the couch <laughs> <laughs> and covered in champagne. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, it's sticky. You were stuck in there with the champagne. and <laughs> in the couch. Yeah. So, so it was like the exact wrong time for this conversation from my perspective. But you at the same time felt like because you had proposed it and you said that you wanted to try this and make it happen, you felt obligated at that time to say, yes, please go forward with that. And so I did. And, and part of me so wanted you to. Yes, but you were still feeling icky, which just goes into the whole, like, what right. do you listen to? You you wanted something to happen, but maybe tonight's not the right time. And, like, where's your patience versus yes. trying to make it happen? Anyway, so I went forward with it. And I, at the end of the night, um, you know, I had a great time. And I, I pranced back to oh, wait, our room. First, she goes off to have fun. I go to the hot tub. And it's like the land of misfit toys up there. It's like... Twelve of us and all of our partners are somewhere else playing with somebody else. It's like in college when, like, your roommate puts a sock on the door and you go to the common area to watch reruns of Cops or whatever, and you're feeling, you know, pretty crappy that you're, you know, the odd odd person out. Yeah, it's like it's like that in that hot tub. I'm looking around like, all right, all of our partners are off somewhere else doing different things, and I just I felt very on the outside. And then the woman who I had been avoiding came up to the hot tub and I was like, all right, I'm out of here. I'm going back to my room. And it was early for desire. It was like midnight. Yeah, that is early. So I'm in my room just like processing like, oh man, you know, all these things. I don't know what's going on. And why do I feel this way? I've never felt this. We were a couple years into full swap and, you know, four years probably into our discussions of, you know, communicating about it. So there was, I'd never experienced this before. The so ickiness. yeah. So I'm sitting there just kind of stewing and not really knowing why. And then I come prancing back to the room. Uh, I'm in high heels and wearing a backpack full of all of my toys and supplies from the night and nothing and, else and nothing else. <laughs> and I'm very proud of having done this new thing and thought everything was okay. And I walk in and, He's well, not only not, that, but you were almost encouraged to do it, right? And so you I were was encouraged yeah. to do it. Yeah, exactly. And so I was very proud that I had actualized something that we had aspired to do, uh, which is not really my nature in these things. I'm very, I'm, I, I am fairly reactive in the lifestyle. I am not an initiator, so I was, I was proud, and I walk in and. Justin was not okay. He was, uh, he had been stewing. That was obvious. <laughs> and he was able to communicate to me that he just didn't feel very uh, good about the situation, but we didn't know why yet. And so we talked for a long time and kind of slept it off. And then the next morning we were able to talk through what is, what were the triggers that made you feel so icky? And was it something I did? Was it external factors was it the whole situation you know the, the complete picture what was it but yeah so the two-step process for me working through this was we talked for two or three hours when you after you came back and i couldn't really pinpoint Which still early for desire <laughs> fourth meal had not happened yet that's true. that's true i should have gone to fourth meal instead of going to the hot tub um but so the two things that worked for me were, were before we went to sleep. Like I tried to talk to things and I couldn't really figure it out. And you're like, look, I don't know what you're feeling or why, 
but you're my priority. You're, you're the first thing I think of in all these things. And none of this happens without us being together. So whatever you need, however much time you need, whatever you need from me, I'm here for you. I won't pressure you, but you're, you're, my, you're, you're my priority. So just know that. And that was like, that's what I needed. I just needed to hear you're special. You're, yeah. you're my favorite. You're my partner. All this is us first and everybody else comes afterwards. And I, I needed to hear that. And I felt good enough to go to sleep at that point, not really still knowing what was triggering these things. And then in the morning we woke up, got a bite to eat, went to the beach bed, kind of laid there. And I'm, I don't know what had happened in my, in my sleep, but it kind of all came to me. It was like, it's the, it's counterintuitive, right? Like it's the things that you were doing that we don't do that were bothering me. And I didn't really understand that in the moment, but like, we don't do food play. We don't, I'm not dominant with you. You know, these were the things about that situation that were bothering me. But then I had this, the light bulb went on and I was like, idiot, that's why we're doing this. Like, I don't want her to have sex with just guys who look and act and talk and touch and kiss like me. You know, I want you to do new things with new people and have new experiences. That's the whole, well, it's a big part of why we do this. Yeah. So, and, and the other guy, like the least threatening person, the most consent based, are you okay? Are both of you okay with this? Like, like we was one of the reasons why we went there, like knowing that that kind of vibe was there and that he was somebody who put those vibes out there. Like, not the kind of person who's going to prey, uh, you know, on your partner or on anybody. So like, I kind of realized that I was being an idiot by being threat, be feeling threatened by things that we didn't do together. Cause that's a big part of why we do this. And then I had no animosity toward him whatsoever. And then you had reaffirmed to me how, you know, that I'm, I'm your priority. And so it just kind of like in a moment, it just kind of all evaporated. And I felt like, Oh, well, that's why one, you prioritize me and two, I kind of pinpointed why I was upset and now I know that's irrational. And so really within, you know, an hour after waking up and kind of taking in the morning, we kind of moved through it. And, um, but it was the first negativity that we'd felt, I think, in any of our experiences. And I, and I think too, that it's uh, something that maybe not that exact situation, but that exact problem can manifest itself in so many different ways in the lifestyle. And that's, you know, you're both white and maybe she has sex with a guy who's Asian or black and you're never going to be those things. And then are you thinking, Oh, well, does she really like me anymore? Like maybe that's the thing she's always wanted or. And for women, different body types can be threatening. You know, if you are someone with a lot of curves as I tend to be and my husband decides that he's really attracted to somebody who is slender and very firm in all the places, then that could feel threatening in a way too. Right. And just, or, yeah. Yeah. Body time. I mean, it's anything. And, and you can look at that and say, Oh, well, if you like me, how could you also like that other thing? And I, it's, it's almost like, well, this is an opportunity for me to experience that other thing and not have to give up what we have to experience that. Right. And, and I'm right. allowed to like m- more than one flavor of ice cream. Yeah. I don't know. Although the only flavor you that don't exists like chocolate. for me. I don't think we can be friends anymore. <laughs> no. He likes chocolate. The only thing I like is cookies and cream. That's his favorite. <laughs> <laughs> if, that's place, a if, if a place doesn't have cookies and cream ice cream, you don't want to get ice cream there. <laughs> Anyway, was, that's a different show. That's our spinoff. That's our spinoff. Ice cream topics, ice cream flavors. 
<laughs> cookies and cream. Cookies. That's a good top podcast title. Um, <laughs> I was going to say with uh, that could really be towards play styles too. I think that's you know to your example, seeing yeah. your partner play differently. We're like, hang on, they, they that doesn't happen. Like why that? Maybe that they like that way better than they like with me. And or that, the or the ultimate one, she's never come with me like that before, and that can be yeah. really almost striking to you to see your wife or your partner, your husband, all of a sudden getting an amount of pleasure you've never seen doing something that you've never done or doing the exact same thing that you do. And all of a sudden it's working completely different and you have no idea how to process that. Yeah. Yeah. Those are big deals. And I think getting through them is just knowing that no matter what happens, nothing can break you as a couple, which is something that we stand by. Like this is something we do and we enjoy, but we do it together and it's successful because we're together and nothing can break us. Um, and I think one of the other things that we always maintain and it hasn't been used, maybe it's been used one or twice, but it hasn't been used often is the veto card. Mm -hmm. And so, Throughout any situation, whether it's an individual or a specific party, we maintain a veto card. And if someone is just feeling icky at any point, even if you've already started and like things are going along and someone just says, you know what, I'm not feeling it. This isn't right. And then you just get up and walk away and you don't have to explain yourself in the moment. It may be healthy to talk about it together later and try to figure out, as we did in that situation and desire, what caused the icky feelings. But Knowing that you can remove yourself and your partner from any situation at any time is very empowering. It makes you feel like you are in control of this whole situation and you don't have to do anything that you don't want to do, which you don't, but it's a, it's a good, yeah. it's a good card in your pocket. Yep. Yeah. So have you, have you guys, um, I totally, I mean, yeah, that's a, that's a good thing to have. I mean, I <laughs> One of our few rules. One of us can say no at any time. Yeah. No, I think that's a great thing. It's implicit, but it's good to articulate it. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, and have that just, yeah, have that in the back of your mind. Like, I can get out of the situation. I know my partner is going to support me 100%. Like, that makes the situation going into it a lot easier. Right. Yeah. And they won't pout, and they won't, like, say, oh, are you sure we need to leave right now? Like, you just need. Especially the, the, the longer you're, you know, longer we do these types of things, like, there's no one situation or one person. First of all, if it threatens my partner, then uh, that's the most important thing. We're going to, you know, remove ourselves from that. It would be helpful to find out why so that we can maybe avoid that kind of pitfall later. But at the end of the day, if either of us aren't comfortable, then there's no questions asked. We're just not doing it. But the other thing is there are so many people in so many situations that one person or one situation isn't worth screwing up everything else that, we, that we're going to do or that we can do down the road. Like right. no one situation is worth screwing up. Like, oh, I'm sticking to this because I was really feeling the vibe and I really liked her and she really liked me and she had, you know, this or whatever. Like, you know, it doesn't matter. There's so much that's going to happen that you don't need to, you know, to mortgage everything for one person or one situation. Yeah. yeah. What's that fear of missing out? Yeah. yeah. So one of the things, and you guys have talked about it, and that we see a lot come up is the, the topic of consent and the topic of safety within the lifestyle. How do you guys have you found a way to navigate those topics in a sexy way, or I guess how do you guys go about navigating those in your 
uh, the sugar circle, the cry circle, the circle of death. <laughs> People make fun of us for this sometimes. But. I think yeah. safety for us boils down to transparency and communication. And one of the ways that we are transparent is we do something very cheesy. If we are in an organizing capacity at a party, we uh, like to make sure that there's a share circle. <laughs> so one of our first at Desire... We will credit Ginger and Prof, Ginger and the Professor of the Life Is That podcast for teaching us this at the first, I think it was the first party we went to at Desire. They, like, things were going well, music was going, people were getting on, and they sensed that the moment was about to happen where the clothes were going to come off. And so they got call time out, and they said, okay, thank you all for being here. Uh, you know, we're Ginger and the Professor. We identify as such. Um, I guess, well, well, I'll fast forward to our parties to answer your question directly. They, they taught us this technique. So when we host parties, when we sense that there's a moment where things are about to get sexy, we call time out. We say, thank you all for coming. We really appreciate you. Some of you came from a long ways. We're honored that you're here. I'm Justin. This is Abby. And we just wanted to give you all a little bit of information about ourselves so that everybody can feel comfortable in the moment in the play situation. So we require we both identify as straight. You go through your spiel about your comfortability with women. I go through my spiel about being straight but not narrow. My comfortability with proximity of pleasuring a woman. Um, we require condoms for penetration. We do not require um, condoms for oral. Uh, you I have, have a latex, latex sensitivity. sensitivity. So we bring a lot of non-latex condoms everywhere we go. Yep. We were last tested whenever that was. Nothing right. to report, no issues to deal with. If we have any kind of things, given the people who are at the party that we are looking forward to that evening, then we'll put them on the table at that point. No expectations. As but... an example, there are people who like to spank, and I'm a very sensitive individual when it comes to tactile, you know, the touching and um, just the way people interact with my skin and my body. And so we often put out a disclaimer that like, I'm very sensitive, start very gentle, <laughs> yeah, start so gentle know your the audience knows, who, yeah. knows who's around you and what the disclaimers are that you have to put out there. I say start gently with the oral and then pound her later. That's there's a into the cushions, <laughs> I, I, into the cushions. Exactly. Preferably with the, with the champagne. <laughs> so, I mean, so to, to summarize that, though, you guys basically do a high, uh, a quick, maybe one minute elevator speech of who you are, the things you're into, the things you're not into, and any major pitfalls that people need to avoid while playing with you. Absolutely. And then it goes around the circle, and everybody gets to do the same thing. And yep. Yeah, and I think everybody does it to their comfort level. Some people will just introduce themselves uh, and. That's it. And then they say, you know, see us about other things later. And they just request that you follow up with them directly if you want to have relations with them. Um, but generally people follow along and we've gotten a lot of positive feedback from folks uh, that it is a good icebreaker, that they right. feel a lot more comfortable with the transparency that builds trust among people at a party. Yeah, even after, I mean, the chances that you've had a conversation with every single couple in that room, every single individual in that room about how they identify, what they're looking for, what they don't like, what they do like, it's it's probably not going to happen unless you've met all, all of them before. So we try to create a situation where there's not going to be awkwardness of somebody approaching a woman who maybe only plays with, you know, who 
who the only man she plays with is her partner, but she plays with other women. So it's not this awkward situation where you go and, you know, at the same time, we have had feedback from people saying, Hey, you guys seem like great folks, but, uh, your communication style is a little too direct. And so that doesn't work for us. We would like more mystery in our play situation. So we're not a good match. That's not shared for related mostly. That's just uh, generally communicative. It has, but there have been people who are like, yeah, that was way too direct for us. We don't want to do that again. Yeah. And that's fair. Yeah. And I, I understand that, but I also can see it too where, you know, and, and to be transparent about that, we've been in the share circles with you guys and other people. And, <laughs> One you know, for, for certain people, I mean, it's very helpful to know at the start of an event these are the things I need to be aware of. I'm not going to walk into blindly walk into a trap that I didn't know was there. And if people could say, Oh, well it takes away the sexiness, but I, for some people it really puts them at ease to know <laughs> I can, I can navigate this space comfortably now and not step on a landmine that I didn't know was there. And right. And that's not to say that all consent goes out the window because in the share circle, she said she's a full swap person. So I can, I can obviously have sex with her. I mean, the normal bounds of consent and conversation still exist, but at least you know a starting point of, of where people are and who they are. Yes. Yep. So quick, funny aside on that. Uh, the professor was at a party of ours in D.C. Um, and missed the share circle because he had to go get something and came back and found himself um, increasingly – propositioning sounds terrible – um, he was flirting at an increasing level with a woman who had expressed in the share circle that she doesn't play with other men, only with other women. Um, her partner, who's a man, is the only man she plays with. And so Prof didn't know, like, as he was like, can I kiss you? And she's like, no, really, no. Because they had been having great conversations. They're both very intellectual. They're both <laughs> awesome, beautiful people. And, and, he's, and he thought she was just, like, playing with him. Like, she was, like, rebuffing it, like, she wasn't really rebuffing him. She was just, that was part of the game of the flirtation back and forth. And he was like, no, really? Like, can I, t- can I touch you? He's like, no, really? I, I don't want you to touch me. But he had seen um, me go into the bedroom with her earlier because I was giving her something wardrobe related or I, she needed, a, you know, something in particular. He, Prof thought we were going back there to play and then left to go do whatever he's doing, came back. The share circle had happened, and so he had, you know, assumed that she and I had already been playing, and that they were getting along, and their flirtation was physical, and it wasn't physical. And finally, he got this moment. He was like, "Oh, you, you really don't want to play with me?" And he's, she's like, "No, you're awesome, but I don't play with other men." And he's like, "Yeah, you do. I saw you go back there with Justin." And she was like, "No, that wasn't a physical thing." So, anyway, just. The it just goes to show you that circle. you can yeah. assume the wrong things. If you miss that critical moment, you can misconstrue other things that will lead you down a road that may be awkward or humorous for others later on. Yeah. Right. So I guess we we alluded to the fact that you guys have started hosting parties. Uh, can you talk a little bit about how you started doing that? Whew. Yes. <laughs> I don't think that it was intentional that we became hosts and organizers, um, but we uh, became very accustomed accustomed to a certain type of party where there was this consent and transparency and communication amongst everybody at the party. And 
uh, we actually, when we moved out west, um, didn't find the same type of community of people who were doing it the same way. So we felt like we had to do it ourselves. And so we have become much more active in hosting and organizing parties that we would want to attend. <laughs> yeah. It started small in London, like, you know, the on-premise stuff was really difficult. So like we would meet a couple at a party and then we would just have them to our flat and it was just the four of us. Mm-hmm. Um, that was like the first, you know, the first instance of that. And then in, in DC, um, at these house parties, they were all great, but we really clicked with a couple of couples early on. And it made sense. Like the six of us really got on well and we don't experience that a lot. We hadn't experienced that a lot. So we were like, Hey, why don't we just have in between the bigger house parties? Why don't you guys just the four of you come over on a Friday and you know, we'll just the six of us will hang out. And so that I started there, but I think probably the big moment for our, for our hosting, (laughs) uh, our, our hosting experience really took off when we went to Desire one year and Ginger Prof couldn't make it. And we, you know, being introverts, we were like, well, we've hitched our wagon to them for a couple of years now and they've left us to our own devices. We're going to make an effort this year and not to honor them. We are going to be the ones who initiate conversations in the hot tub. We're going to be the ones on the beach who just walk up to people and, you know, ask us, hey, how are you? Where are you from? You know, how long have you been open? That kind of thing. We're going to try to be, you know, uh, one of those. We we're trying to be a touch point for others to come to come toward and facilitate that kind of activity. Mm-hmm. So we decided that year at Desire, we were going to host three parties and we we're just going to invite, we're going to meet people and invite people to our, we decided to get a passion suite because we'd been going to Ginger and Profs and they weren't there. So that was our passion suite year. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so we decided to be extroverts, put ourselves out there to be the ones to instigate and to see how it went. And I think that was kind of where we crossed that threshold between um, before we just invite one or two couples over who we already knew to just like, Hey, let's try and cultivate this, this, you know, group of people who seem to all get along. And we think that they're just, you know, they could benefit from a common space to explore these kinds of things. So I think um, that's the year we met you. It is. Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess we never covered. We did meet you guys at desire. <laughs> So anyway, it's a long-winded way of saying we tried to be extroverts at Desire, and we met a bunch of people and invited them to our room. And I think what it comes down to is we want to create an environment where people feel safe, that they feel like they can explore their boundaries, they feel like they can try new things or do old things with new people. It's about creating an environment of sexy openness and exploration and all those words, all those words. And also who doesn't love just a giant orgy. <laughs> have, you, have you guys found that you, do you gravitate more towards a group environment rather than uh, one-on-one with another couple? I guess that's two on two. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, these are some of the lessons we've learned too. Like people think, Oh, we're gonna, let's just have a threesome. Like that's super complicated. Just that's bringing really one hard. person in that's advanced. <laughs> non-monogamy that's not beginner right so we thought well we'll meet couples that seems easy and safe and you know that's the easiest because you go on a website and they're you know going to cassidy or stc or whatever and you meet another couple and you go out and have a date and invite them over but 
it's we found that it's difficult to have four-way chemistry with two other people where everyone's on the same page everyone's equally attracted everyone's sexual energy is is shared amongst those those people and it's it's hard we we enjoy it still and that tends to be where we start um meeting new couples just meeting them out two on two but um it's a lot of pressure it's like and we're not we're not swappers we're we're sharers but you know, swapping like, okay, what are they doing? Oh, they've moved from kissing to oral. Okay, now we got to do oral. Oh, now they move from oral to penetration. Okay, well now it's time for us to have penetration. And it's just, I don't know. For us at least, four can be difficult, and four can have a lot of pressure, and there's not always that mutual attraction um, all around. So we found that having small groups of people, six, six and more, I don't know. Six to twenty. Six, six to twenty. Let's call it six to twelve. The sweet, the sweet spot. Because um, and again, because like you know, you can like we've exceeded. You the can sweet play spot. and then like get up and like go get another drink and then come back and just kind of like oh no no that's right. going on. You can oh, look at that and step and back disengage. and yeah. watch your partner enjoying something. Watch the whole uh, atmosphere and energy of the party and appreciate everything going on and then you can jump back in and there's the group environment creates more flexibility and less pressure. Yeah. For us. Yeah. Small groups is where it's it's counterintuitive, but it's, it's true. Yeah. (laughs) It is counterintuitive, but it, it cause you can step back and take it things at your own pace. And if the part, if it's the right party, no one's going to pressure you to go further. And so you can just take it all in and, and watch live porn in front of your face, which is <laughs> amazing. Or on top and of your face. Or in the right top. situations. If you've stepped back and you're like, oh, wait, oh, that's happening over there? Oh, I want to be a part of that. And if you've created the right communication base with everybody, you can just jump over there and say, hey, can I join you? Do you yeah. need a hand here? I have some lube. <laughs> <laughs> or a towel. <laughs> or a towel. <laughs> some crackers. <laughs> I feel like this is getting really specific. <laughs> well, maybe because you eat a lot of crackers. <laughs> yeah, but I don't need towels. <laughs> um, okay. Well. Moving right along. <laughs> so... So to, 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 to sum up the hosting thing, um, it's actually become more of a necessity in Colorado. There are a lot of parties, a lot of for-profit house parties, um, a good place to meet people, but not a great place to have intimate quality, um, quality experiences. Yeah. So we've kind of defaulted to hosting out of necessity more than anything else here. Once we meet people out and about, then we'll, you know, we'll try and um, fairly regularly invite small groups to our house because that's where we have quality experiences more so than at, at clubs or at right. the bigger house parties. You know, and two or 300 control... people is a lot of people right. to try and navigate their way through. But then we can yeah. control the music and we can control the food and uh, there's just a lot of us being in control of things also that lends itself to us being more yes. comfortable. Fewer crockpot wieners, more bio wieners. <laughs> <laughs> And cheese and crackers. Hence, yeah. and been eating and a lot of crackers. <laughs> Funny story. We're at Desire. We're hosting a party. Everybody leaves for the evening. Finn had been lounging on the Chase Lounge, as you do. And uh, we're cleaning up the room. And there are like 10 wrappers of crackers under the Chase. 
where you'd been sitting, finishing up the evening, enjoying the scenery as people filter out. Finishing up the evening, get it? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and you needed some much, you needed some, sus- some sustenance, didn't you? <laughs> I didn't mean to leave the wrappers there. I'm normally a tidy person. <laughs> Well, we know that you don't like to have inside jokes, and so I wanted to expound upon what I meant when I made the joke about crackers. Thank you. We yes. appreciate it. Everyone appreciates it. <laughs> you, you included. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Definitely. <laughs> so, so our last two questions are typically. Wait, I have another question. Fuck every time. <laughs> I know. Our and last, then you can our last three questions. <laughs> I wanted to ask you guys, uh, have you ever considered closing your relationship back off? And do you think that's something you would do in the future? That is a great question. And I, I don't think that we would ever, uh, retreat so much that we would not call ourselves swingers, whether we're practicing swingers may come and go depending on other things going on in our life. But I had a moment a while ago, maybe 18 months ago, two years ago, where I came to the realization where I said, this is no longer something we do. This is who we are. Uh, And so now we identify as these open people and whether we are out there seeking swinger encounters or not, we will always be open people and identify uh, in some way as swingers. I agree. I think we'll always be open. I think it's uh, going down a, a thorny row, but I think it's in our nature. I just think that's, that's who we are. And even if, I mean, we've deprogrammed socially from being monogamous. <laughs> we can never go back to that state of mind. Yeah. I mean, there's still pressures that we encounter every day that are, they're reinforced, you know, monogamy is strong in society. And so, Every time one of us brings up a new experience that we hadn't previously discussed, there's like that kind of increased heartbeat and you know, your heart rate goes up and you kind of have to think through how am I going to ask for this because the, the social programming is so strong. But I do think that we've kind of shed that enough to understand who we are. And, you know, I mean, you can be a lawyer without practicing law, right? I mean, you can, mm-hmm. if other things in your life, um, you know, kind of overtake what you're doing in some regard, you can kind of minimalize other aspects of it. So I think that it will, it will always be at a minimum part of our fantasies and something that For we sure. will leave the door open to down the road. I don't think we'll ever go back and be like, whoa, that was a fun trip, but now we're going to be monogamous again. And if people do, that's great. That's what you, but we also to. leave that open to each other of that's part of the veto card to say, if you ever say, if Justin ever said to me, I I'm done. I just want you to myself. I, I don't want to have sex with other people anymore. I would respect that. I may not change my overall brand of thinking of being an open individual, but if that's what he requested of me to make our relationship a success, I would do everything I could to make that possible. That's part of the retail card. But I, 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 I don't know how that would happen. Yeah, it would. But you know what? We didn't know. I had no idea we would evolve to where we are today. So I could never predict where we will evolve right. to down the road. But yeah, if you ever said, I, I need to not do this right now. And I think it would, that would be the key. We'd both say right now. Yeah. Um, You're not ever, never, always people. No, generally. we're not binary. We're all about shades of gray. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and this goes to another point that we learned early on, too, is like, 
you can anybody everybody has the right to ask for what they want you should be able to for your partner with your partner ask for whatever you want they have a right to say no but you should still be able to ask right and even if they say no it doesn't mean that it's a no forever it just means it's a no for now and you you know when the time is right you can bring it up again you can ask for it again down the road so we allow each other to ask for what we want we allow each other to say no and then we allow each other to ask again later on if you know if the situation has has evolved to the point where you can have that communication again so yeah. i don't know that's a very long answer to a very short question <laughs> no but i think you had some some really spot on advice in there about you know not not always giving a definitive answer and and just because somebody says no not today you can bring it up again and you don't have to bring it up in an annoying Maggie way or desperate way, but it's okay to reapproach a conversation a couple of years down the road or a month down the road. Mm-hmm. So. Right. Yeah. Another part I think is the interesting about identify. Like you went from this is something you do to something you are who you are. I think mm-hmm. that that is a pretty, I guess, strong realization and something that you know you probably have to think about a little bit. I mean, I would, I would strongly agree with that, and also I think we've gone through that. Um, and thinking about that and, you know, that's not really something we do anymore. It's kind of who we are. I mean, I think that's why we started this podcast too. Um, anyway. And I'm glad you. you did. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> We're excited about it. Um, okay. Ben, you had two more questions. Yeah. Well, not anymore. Now I have three. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to totally go over your time limit. I'm sorry. Yeah. Go over. We're, we're, we're over. past it. That's okay. That's all right. Um, we'll, we'll just edit out most of what you said earlier. <laughs> um, no, it's it, we aim for about an hour, but it doesn't. It, we're not always perfect, as you probably saw by some of the longer episodes. So you have given a lot of really good advice. Is there any other like one or two tidbits that you you wish you knew when you started, or that you want to make sure that you tell all of our listeners? New, old, new, or I'm just going to shut up. You talk. talk I tell Justin, what are your three pieces of advice? By three, I didn't know I had to prescribe three pieces. You can have three and a half if you need to. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I would say, not necessarily what I would tell my, my past self from the future, but just in general for anybody who's, um, walking into this, this is very practical advice. This goes to my logistics brained wife here. Um, be prompt, be courteous and make the effort. Um, you know, there's no fashionably late. If you get to a party and people have already made those connections, you've missed the share circle and the gong. Yeah. I don't know how you recover from that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Aim to tough. be there within the, within the hour that it started, if not the first 30 minutes of it, yeah. because People are going to be on time. People have babysitters. Yeah. <laughs> people. Those are some of our favorite swingers, people who are babysitters, and they are tapping their watch uh, let's by, get like, this going. 10, 11 o'clock. You know it's going to be a good night. Yep. <laughs> uh, be courteous. This is obviously face-to-face in person, but also with online communication. Like, some people have touched on this already, but just, like, liking a picture on Cassidy. It's so annoying. We have in our profile, like... We have a very long description, as you may tell from the way we communicate verbally, but we have a lot of information in our profile, and it kind of lays out who we are and what we're looking for. 
And at the end of it, it says, we don't really know what to do with flirts and picture likes and that kind of thing. Like we don't, it's flattering, but it doesn't really give me much to go on. So if you want to potentially meet up or communicate about meeting up, just send us a note, even one sentence that's descriptive, that says something about our profile, why you are reaching out to us, just, just one or two sentences that goes a long way. So be, be courteous, be and that goes to making the effort too. Yeah. And that's, yeah. And it's making the effort, but making the effort more applies to dudes. Like don't show up to a party in ripped jeans and a distressed t-shirt, like in your wife's looking like a million bucks and you're looking like a $2 bill. Like just, there's just so much disparity. I'm sorry. Okay. You can edit that part out. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, this isn't just about objectifying women and putting women out there, you know, to, to be the centers of attention. Like there's so much disparity with like 50 pictures of a woman and one picture, a, a picture of a selfie of a cock. Like that's not making the effort in a profile showing up to a party where the woman looks amazing. And the dude's just kind of there and flip flops and, you know, shorts and whatever. Just like, this is, we're all in this together. We're a team. We come as a package. Well, get and it. as a woman, if I made the effort to try to look my best, I would want the men to also make an effort to look their best. Otherwise, why would I make the effort to engage them at a party? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. That was judgy and a little bit negative, but like guys, step your game up. Experience. Step yeah. up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Cause you know what? My wife is, um, particular, but I'm way more particular for her than she is for herself. So if I don't feel like you're meeting a standard, um, I'm not going to tell her, no, she can't do anything, but we'll definitely have a conversation about where things are going and, and why. So anyway, yeah. Um, yeah. So those three Make things. I think the one I would add is to be GGG. And that's a phrase that's used a lot in the community. And will you recite all of the G's? And then I'll go into why this is important. Good giving and gain. Yes. So, and I think that that applies to not just in sexual situations, but people need to be GGG generally in life in order to be good at this. Like if you are not good giving and game in everything you do, I don't know how the lifestyle and meeting other sexual compatible individuals is going to go very well. So just be good people. Yeah. Yeah. Cause we're attracted to people intellectually as yeah. we are physically. That's easily 50% of our attraction to people is, are they good people? Yeah. Cause if they're not, they're not going to be good lovers. Typically we've found anyway <laughs> to paint with a broad brush. Okay, stop. <laughs> I, I was just going to emphasize really quick with a short anecdote about being prompt. And, uh, you mentioned not, not missing the gong for after the share circle. So at one of these share circles, we broke the share circle and I had to pee. So I peed and I think I was gone for about 26 seconds. And by the time I got to the room, literally everybody was completely naked and on a bed, like paired up with each other. And I had no way to get in. I you was missed just, the gong. And I was just like, I was like, I came into the room like it had been going on for like an hour. And I was like, what the fuck? It's been like 60 seconds. <laughs> and so luckily I got bailed out and a, and a spot opened up. But I don't, I don't advise that situation to anybody. So if you're going to pee, 
Make sure you get involved and then go pee because you want to find your spot <laughs> on the bed. The share circle ends because then you're going to miss the transition. Yeah, right. Ask, yeah, the transition ask just for a countdown to the share circle so that you can be prepared when it happens. Yeah. So that's my advice for tonight. Yeah. You don't want to miss the share circle and you don't want to miss the transition to losing everyone's clothing. Right. You don't know Otherwise referred it, to as the gong. You don't know how fast it's going to move after that. Yeah. <laughs> all right so the last question was just do you guys have any resources that you found useful i know you mentioned some podcasts along the way is there anything else you wanted to inform the the fabulous millions of listeners of let's hope billions but it's probably a billion by now yeah so we mentioned sex is fun they haven't recorded in probably five years they had a good couple hundred Maybe 300 episodes. Yeah. They're fabulous people. Um, and they're still all available online, by the way, which yeah. we'll put yeah. the link in the show notes. Great. Excellent. Um, again, there are some non-monogamy related um, episodes, but most of them are just general sex topics. Yeah, and sexual health. There's a lot of good information in there. Yep. Yeah. They were, I would say, singularly responsible for us being where we are today. Um, and Life on the Swing Side, obviously. Great people, great information, great takeover desire. I'm sure you've heard about it ad nauseum, all of you out there, but it is so worth doing. If you are considering a sex optional vacation, that is the one to do, in our opinion. Um, books. Opening up. Um, sex is Dawn. Sex at Dawn. Sex at Dawn, sorry. <laughs> and Dawn. Ethical Slut. Okay, okay. perfect. The Ethical Slut, yeah. Yeah, um... I think Sex at Dawn in particular for us was we're both nerds. We both require a lot of analytics and philosophy <laughs> to justify what what our desires are. And that was a good a good book. I know it's been a lot of discussion about the accuracy of the science behind it, but for us, um, it went a long way toward explaining why some people are monogamous and others aren't, what goes into those, you know, decisions about who you have sex with and why. So, you know, I think sex at dawn was really quite important to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Well, Perfect. Yeah. Excellent. Well, we'll put links to all those in the show notes so people can find them easily. And also, well, never mind. Never mind. Okay. Uh, you go. <laughs> Is there anything else you guys would like to share with the listeners? Is there anything we missed asking you? No, I mean, there are going to be highs and lows. It's like everything else. It's a relationship. You know, it's right. it's even more complicated because it's a relationship between two people being in relationships with other people. So you're going to have highs and lows. You're going to have setbacks. Um, but, you know, if you do the hard work early on by communicating about what your expectations are and what your desires are and you kind of negotiate what those boundaries are and what that looks like for you, you're going to have some great times and you're going to have some not so great times. But nothing is insurmountable. You'll, right. you know, you'll get lessons learned. You'll take lessons learned from every bad situation and apply them to future ones. So, you know, do the, do the reading and do the thinking and the talking beforehand and trust yourselves to make good decisions. And I, I would bet that if you do that work, then you will make good decisions and have great times. And when you don't just come back and think about why and talk about why. And maybe that means you're not, cut out to be open. Maybe it means that you overlooked something and um, you take it from there and you move forward. So, Great job. Thanks. Yeah. 
I think that was really good. Yeah, absolutely. And so thank you guys for taking some time out of your evening. Yeah, we had a lot of fun. Whoa. We had a lot of fun talking with you guys and appreciate all of the insight. Yeah, and thanks stories. for having us on your podcast. This is great. We appreciate you doing this and allowing us to be part of it. We appreciate you generally. We do. Also this. Absolutely. Well, thank you guys. And we appreciate it. Everybody's appreciating everybody. So <laughs> we, happiness all around. <laughs> yeah. So have a great evening and we will talk to you guys soon. All right. Take Bye. care. Bye. So we're that, back. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Yep. Thanks to Justin and Abby for taking time to chat with us and putting up with us and for sharing all the great information that they shared with you. Yeah, they're really good people. Um, not a whole lot else to say, I don't think, other than next week we've got episode 32. Yeah, see, now you have trouble counting. No, I count just fine. <laughs> then episode 32 is with Kat and Flick from... Lots of things, but we met them first at, at Desire, and now they've got a podcast. She's got a book out. So, uh, yeah, it's a fantastic episode, and you're going to want to check that one out. Yep. And just a quick reminder, you can reach us at our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com, or find us on Twitter or Cassie under the screen name NNM Podcast. Yeah, reach out. Say some shit to us, and we'll say some shit back. It'll be fun. Yes. I promise we respond to every single person. All of them. Yep. Even the ones that are kind of mean. <laughs> we do. We do. I usually just send one of those crying face emojis. Because <laughs> your feelings are hurt. I'm my feeling. I'm sensitive. I know. All right. Let's go. We'll see you guys next week.